1: Hello, everyone. I'm Dorothy Koshu, host of the Benefits Executive Roundtable. Be advised we're recording this podcast remotely, so please bear with us if we have any internet interruptions or anything else while recording. I'm here today with principals of our technology partners, Aditi Group, to share with you some thoughts and information on something that we all need to stay on top of, cybersecurity in the workplace and at home. I want to welcome Ted Mayashiba, Ted Flitner, and Steve Sateman of the Aditi Group. Welcome to all of you. Thank you for joining me today for our last regular podcast of Season 2.
2: Thank you.
3: Good afternoon. Thanks for having us back. Thank you for having us.
1: It's really a pleasure. This is going to be some very valuable information that I think everybody needs to be aware of. Why don't we start with you guys sharing a little bit of information about your backgrounds. Ted M., would you like to tell us a little bit about where you come from in this industry?
4: Sure. We started out with, uh, in aerospace and defense, and so security was pretty high with us over there. And when high-tech and HIPAA came out, uh, well, when the high tech especially came out, um, the legislation pointed back to the same regulations that we used in aerospace. So when I, we started this up, it was like a slam dunk for us because we said, oh, this is all stuff we know. So we went forward with that and uh, went straight into HIPAA and high tech. It was uh, using the same ground rules and making sure that worked.
1: That's great. Uh, how about you, Ted Flintner?
2: I'm a process engineer, uh, industrial engineer by training uh, like my colleague, Ted. uh, And I came out of the hardware side of high tech, uh, spent my early years uh, working for the largest uh, disk drive makers and, you know, understanding how computers uh, uh, operate and so on, and especially how hardware operates. And since that time, we've applied our process thinking, you know, which is looking at how do people do work? And how do the systems, you know, integrate with people and, you know, with data and with, you know, customers, you know, to understand the whole picture and also to be able to drill down to the details and and find out where the risks are and uh, how things can be done better, more secure and more efficient.
1: Yeah, that's great. Steve, what about you?
3: Uh, I am a been working in the computer field as a systems integrator administrator. Uh, For the past 20 years, I have worked for some of the largest Fortune 500 companies as well as the largest school districts uh, around our country and have extensive experience with cybersecurity and security in general when it comes to business computing. And now that we are all kind of working from home, we have extended this business computing now out to our homes.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Well, I want to go ahead and get started because I know everyone's time is very valuable. So let's start with the basics. With so many, as you mentioned, Steve, with so many of us working remotely right now due to COVID-19, cybersecurity is probably even more important now than ever. Would you agree?
3: Absolutely. (laughs) Oh, yes.
2: It's, it's, It's more important now than ever.
1: Yes, that's what I felt as well. That's why I have you here on my podcast today. So, what are the main differences between protecting your organization from cyber threats, you know, in the four walls of your office versus the threats when you're sitting at home working at home?
2: Oh, so many things are different. Uh, some of the ways are, you know, really obvious, and some are actually pretty easy to overlook. And we're going to go into those in detail. Um, but first, we want to highlight um, some of the one of the ways in which working at home and the office is very much the same. And I'm going to let my partner, Ted, the other Ted, explain that.
4: Because we've gone so much to getting services from the cloud, we're really looking at um, kind of the merging of the same kind of threats that you have in the office, uh, even more so in, in the home. We've gone to software as a service. We've gone to various services, including finance. Um, email, um, timekeeping, uh, all those now are services in the cloud. And those are all surfaces or boundaries, as we call them. Um, and anything across that boundary, meaning out in the wild west of the internet, becomes a, a place or a location where things get hijacked and threats can, can be made to you. And this is one of the things that's, been um, recognized recently by corporations as they go to as they go to the cloud, they're finding more and more threats from those those uh, opportunities that they thought were going to make them more productive.
1: Yeah, and Ted Flittner, I know you have some very distinct uh, feelings on this topic. Would you like to share them with us?
2: Yeah, certainly. You know, the, there's uh, some of the things that we are really obvious. You know, like in the office. Um, you know everybody in the office. You can see them. You can tell when a, when a bad actor has slipped in the door and is trying to, you know, slide into the, the desk's, you know, chair of, so, you know, someone who's supposed to be there. You, you, you know, so it's obvious when somebody's kind of an intruder and and the office, you tend to have things that make uh, kind of the access control more obvious, you know, the badges, you know, the code to get in the door and so on. When you're at home, Um, We don't know, you know, and nobody else in the company knows that you are really you. I mean, that's the real challenge is understanding whether or not the person who's logging in as Ted or Dorothy is really Ted or Dorothy or is it, you know, know, Joe Hacker. You know, so that's kind of the obvious thing. And the thing that's not so obvious is something like um, the integration of uh, your work life and your home life. You know the the access that your family and your kids might have to your computer. Um, you know the, maybe that casual access. They might be able to slide into the office room where you're working, or you you know might you might be sitting in you know the same room where everybody else is. Um, you might be working from um, your own device, uh, uh, bring your own device. And uh, if I know how to scare Steve, it's telling him about BYOD, bring your own device. <laughs> you know so you know that's the kind of thing that might be happening at home the doors that are open, the windows that are open at home um, so people can hear conversations or see through your window. And, you know, it's it's not too hard to get a, um, you know, digital, you know, Zoom and uh, look at your screen from outside the window. You know, the neighbor, you know, behind you who's, you know, looking down through your window at your screen, looking at you typing in your passwords, you know, that type of thing. You know, that's something that maybe we don't even think about. And there's the kind of physical security things that happen at home that are uh, different than in your office. You know, we we tend to at home, we tend to be more casual. And, um, you know, you've got people coming and going. You've got the kids coming and going. You've got their friends. You've got the UPS <laughs> delivery. You know, you've got a Grubhub stopping by. And any one of those is an opportunity to slide in the door and to, you know, grab a computer, to grab you know, something um, that actually has very, very valuable sensitive data, you know, you know breach worthy data.
1: And Steve's statement, I want to hear your, your opinions on this because he, he, he targeted you specifically on the bring your own device <laughs> thing. So I'd like to I'd like to hear from you on this.
3: Generally, bring your own device is, is uh, a, a cybersecurity person's nightmare because you have no idea what people are bringing into your environment. One of the things with the COVID and working from home, uh, bring your own device, all of this has cumulative um, repercussions in that it's difficult for the cybersecurity engineers to watch things because we've now, it used to be that we came to the office and the traffic that we were monitoring and looking at was between the hours of eight and five, eight and six, right? You had the people that stayed late seven, eight o'clock at night, but now it's a 24 hour shot. People get up in the middle of the night and they can't sleep because they've been home all day. And so they get on their computers and they start working. And so it's difficult to be able to ferret out the bad actors versus the people who are actually doing, you know, regular work just at these very, very awkward off hours that, that we're not used to seeing. So the the with everyone working from home, it, it has really intensified the traffic that is coming through business organizations, VPNs, all of the other associated services. And because we have become so cloud friendly, Uh, The the vector for attack is is enormous because it's – everyone has Spotify accounts, Netflix accounts, all of these cloud service accounts that we walk around with every single day in our phones, on our home devices, on our laptops and computers, and the hackers have a 24-7 smorgasbord of things to choose from.
1: What, you're telling me that things like having Spotify and – iTunes and having Netflix on your devices that you telling me that could be unsafe come on now
3: the in the past three months There's been two successful uh, Credential hacks for Spotify alone Wow and and they've had you know each of them uh, As many as a hundred thousand accounts have been compromised where they end up with people's personal information email addresses usernames generally not passwords, but Really what they're looking for is identifying information that can b- then be sold to someone else to do nefarious things with.
1: Right. Well, let's talk about those bad actors that you mentioned. I know there's a lot of them. Can you walk us through some of the most common threats right now? What are they, you know, what are they using primarily to steal information?
2: It, well, it, you know, the, the first, first way to gather information is Email. You know, it's something that we're just we're constantly checking. We're constantly flying through and and it's so easy to click on something um, and either answer a question, um, fill out a form, you know, provide something or click on something and download something um, that's either obvious or or innocuous. You don't even notice, you know, you might might click on something. You don't even notice that it downloaded a file in the background. Um, or it started executing something directly from, um, a website. And, you know, that's, that's that first entry in the door. So if, if it's a, if it's a malware, you know, that's an entry and we're going to talk about, uh, you know, some of the breaches that, that that's the first entry, uh, in the door. Uh, but it's also phishing for information. And I had a great example. I had, you know, this just came in, uh, this morning, you know, I had somebody, uh, uh, one of my one of our other uh business partners uh, got an email and an email you know no subject line you know and so um, you know when you have those emails that don't have a subject line you know it's it's a kind of a tip off that uh they probably didn't know exactly what to say to get you to you know to to click um and so those are ones that are you know let's be a little more careful and it was an email they're basically saying hey, you know, uh, got something urgent, send me your cell phone number. My partners all know my cell phone number. I don't need to do that. What are they doing? They're trying to get one more piece of information because that's probably something that is a, um, you know, something that's a a security question or something that's another part of their profile, you know, so that I can spoof that person and try and pretend uh, to be that person and log into any of these, you know, many, many websites. And that's, what, what part of what C was referring to with you know um, uh, those credentials you know trying to impersonate somebody else
4: well there's always the um, the link from DHL or FedEx that you're not expecting but in these days and age of course you sometimes you forget what you've ordered and, and who it's coming from so it's um, it's kind of normal in Hurried state to go and click on that, that, that email with the tagline of uh, "Here's your latest information on on what's going to be delivered." Uh, one of the worst sins is to click on a link. And where where do we see that uh, in spades? That's in Twitter, right? Everything on Twitter is x number of characters, but almost every um, Twitter message has a link to something else, and just by doing that, you may be downloading malware just by just by clicking on that link. A very famous one is, like I said, the DHL, UPS, FedEx link that says, "Click here to get the latest information on delivery," and you click that, and just after you do that, uh, somebody's downloaded malware to your computer. So. Uh, They don't have to, you don't have to necessarily input information, your own personal information. They can get that by just downloading that that package, that payload to your device. And now they can go through at their leisure uh, while you're asleep and go through your phone because you probably don't shut down your phone either.
1: I do. I'm one of the people, <laughs> I'm one of the people that I know that actually shuts off my phone at night, but almost no one else does. <laughs> our,
2: our training has succeeded. I
3: <laughs> wish I could. I, I, I would, if I could, yeah. uh, what, one of the, the latest ones that, that I have heard, uh, came from a colleague of mine and really oddly they, they, it happened to be his mother had made a payment through PayPal, uh, decided, you know what, I don't want this, I need to cancel the payment. And so a lot of these online services don't have a person to talk to. Everything is done through email, through chat. And so she did the next best thing. She went to Google and looked up PayPal, where do I get help? And there was a website set up for it. And she went to this website and it says dial this number and this is the, the help desk for PayPal, and she called them, and they started going through a number of questions, and fortunately, she decided, "Hey, you know what? This this just doesn't seem right because some of the information that you guys are asking me, you should already have, because you're PayPal, and this is a PayPal account." And she got out just in, before they they took control of her computer, so that they could help her with this, um, and while she didn't lose any money. It was basically the same as her losing her wallet. She had to go to through the bank and cancel all of the credit cards and get things, you know, reissued. And it, it was from something that, that you know you, you tend to see scams that target older people and scams that target younger people. And this was a scam that basically they were fishing. They were just sitting out there waiting for somebody to call. And when the call came through they, they ran through their script and, you know, fortunately this time they, they weren't successful. The fish got away, but it, it is happening more and more and more. And with people being off of work and staying home, they have all that much more time to pursue this.
1: That's That's pretty scary when you think about it because how many of us, including myself, how many times, oh. how many times a day do we go on Google to find everything? It's like we don't. We don't carry any documents around anymore. Everybody just goes to Google. So that's pretty scary when you think about it. You know, that's a kind of a common question. I think, how do I get a phone number to contact someone? I've done it before to contact Amazon uh, cool. on something. And, and uh, that's pretty scary when you think about it. <laughs> Is somebody monitoring those sites? Somebody should be monitoring those. Make sure that those kind of things don't happen.
3: <laughs> you know what? There's a, there's a PBS out, out right now on, on radio saying that uh, here's a tip to save all your documents just in case – you know, your house were to get burned down, take a picture with your cell phone. And and so those pictures are uploading to somewhere for their safe storage, quote unquote. And people, other people, then us as as the account holder have access to that information. And, And so if you're taking pictures of driver's license, insurance documents, you know, birth certificates, social security cards... It's all out there for somebody to find.
1: Yeah. Well, I want to come back to something that you guys brought up just a moment ago, uh, the email campaigns and so forth. Um, obviously, we're all seeing a lot of those email campaigns right now, and even more prevalent, I think, since COVID, and I think you you know, hit the, hit the nail right on the head when you talked about that. Um, we see those fraudulent emails from entities that are supposed to be maybe government websites and so forth, asking for information, as you were talking about. And just this past week, interestingly enough, I received a personal email that came from quote unquote income tax department with an actual email address though, however, that I knew was not the IRS because obviously you guys have trained me well on this. And I saw that it was a Gmail address. Um it was databank you know zero five two at gmail dot com. So I knew right away that it wasn't You know that it wasn't legit but they were stating that they were auditing tax returns because of a large number of miscalculations on individuals tax returns for 2019 and 2020 Um, and although it was obvious to me that it was fraudulent it may not be that obvious to other people and of course i sent it over to you guys to take a look at it because when i get these things i always send them over to you guys just for hey fyi type of thing uh can you tell everyone how to identify these you know sorts of fraudulent emails and 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 what are the bad actors trying to accomplish by doing this? Can you, can you just talk about this for a moment?
2: Well, the, the first thing we want to look for is in, in your – whatever your email client is, whether that's Outlook or whether it's on your phone or you know, using the Gmail app or the Mail app on Apple and so on, you, you want to be looking for uh, – try and find out what the actual email address is that the email is being sent from. And, you know, sometimes they may, you know, they may actually put a name next to it, in, like in this case for you, income tax department, you know, but in actuality, it's, you know, something, something, something at gmail.com. And, you know, part of the challenge is how do you how do you find that um, actual email address? Um, ultimately, you can find that by looking at what's called the header information and the email um, client, whatever that may be, has different ways of uh, letting you access that, that header information. Uh, For example, if uh, say you're using uh, Outlook, Um, in Outlook, when you have that email open, you click on file, then you click on properties, and then you look at internet headers, and in there, it's going to be a whole bunch of code and, you know, kind of looks like maybe some arcane kind of language in there, but ultimately is going to be the email address that's actually actually sent from, um, you know, and, and where that email was routed from. You know, so if it's actually something from the IRS, it's going to show up in that list of header information. If it's actually something from Gmail, that shows up. So, and you can't hide that. You know, spammers cannot hide that. Um, what you can do um, when you're when you're addressing an email, uh, you know, or setting up an email account like on uh, on Outlook, I could set up an email account that's you know, you know, Ted at gmail.com, and I could place the name as um, IRS, Internal Revenue Service. You know, I can make my reply email address be, you know, something, something at irs.gov. You know, so I can, I can make it look um, very convincingly like it's an actual email address from an organization or from your best friend or family uh, when, in fact, it's actually not. And it's only that, truly, it's only the header information where you're going to be able to get to that.
3: One of the things that we need to be vigilant about is paying attention to the links that are given to us in these different emails. If you take a look at the please submit scan copies to refund at income tax, um, really doesn't even, it's not a word, dot tax. Um, the IRS and any government agency will never end in a dot tax. Yeah. It's going to be a dot gov. And so they they give us clues in their emails as to who they actually are, and and if we just you know really quickly scam skim over the information, um, we we can miss that. If if we stop down and actually read what they're asking us for, uh, it becomes pretty obvious, and and we can easily train ourselves to pick up on. Uh, the discrepancies of what it should be and what it actually is.
1: And I think there's something important that when we were talking via email, when I sent this uh, over to you guys, uh, some obviously very things that are obvious to us, but maybe not so obvious to other people uh, until we maybe bring it up and think, oh, that's right. Um, Keep in mind that government offices, particularly the IRS, does not email people. If they have a question, if they have a concern, if they want you to resubmit something, if they think a calculation is incorrect, they're going to send it via what? U.S. Postal Service. They're not going to send it via email. So I think it's really important that you keep in mind how have they contacted you in the past, because that's how they're going to continue to contact you. The government is not going to send you something as important as, as tax information via an email. It's just not going to happen. And I just want to bring that up too, because obviously that's something that people need to be aware of. Um, so do you think many people might have responded to something like this? I mean, what makes this sort of thing so dangerous? And, you know, and what can people do if they receive something like this?
2: Well, number one, there's going to be yes, people responded to this. Mm-hmm. You know? I'm sure. Um, you know, and, and one thing I want to highlight here is is that um, there's not a lot of human effort that's involved here, and they're not, uh, for the most part. You know, sometimes they are, but for the most part, they're not targeting you. They're targeting anybody. They're targeting anybody who um, is on a list that they purchased that has email addresses. Anybody who is moving too fast through their email and accidentally clicking on that email and clicking on a link. Or, uh, as Steve said, you know, not slowing down enough to, to take the time to, to see the details and replying to it. Um, so it's not personal, and really sending out spam is super easy. They purchase the lists of information, they set up the software program, they walk away, and it just uh, pumps out tons and tons of emails. And they're just looking for anybody to make a reply. And they're going to start adding any information they get to whatever they already have on hand. And they'll either use it themselves or go sell that to somebody else who is maybe more sophisticated.
3: One of the things, too, that, that a lot of people think that it may be personal towards them. But when these lists are sold, they are generally in the hundreds of thousands of email addresses. And a successful phishing campaign is if they can get back one half of 1%, they can get response from one half of 1% of that list, um, it, it is a successful campaign. So they only need very, very few people to actually respond, but that turns into a real number when you get you know, these large starting numbers of 100,000, 200,000, uh, know, where these large breaches from these cloud providers come in. Uh, it's not hard to build these lists.
1: Right. So what, what should people do if they receive something like this? Should they re- report it to someone? And if so, how do they report that?
2: Well, the, the, the first thing I want to tell everybody is to slow down. I know it's really hard, but, you know, and this is something that, that has to come through training. You know, what we're talking about for, for employees and staff is, and, and repeated training. We have to kind of keep repeating this message, and everybody has to really kind of make this a habit of slowing down, when you're reading through your email because it is, they're getting more sophisticated. They're making it look more real. They're making the ma- actual message and the content and the branding look better. You know, um, some cases like the one you just mentioned and they didn't do a very good job, it's pretty obvious. But, um, you know, if you're moving fast through your email and you're just going boom, 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 it's easy to go boom, 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 click, oops. You know, so first thing, slow down and teach all of your people. To slow down?
3: Depending on the email client that you use, there is a number of ways to report spam, phishing. If you're looking, uh, if you use Outlook and Office 365, um, within the actual message, they have a way that you can report it as junk, report it as phishing, report it as spam. And these messages then go back to Microsoft. And they are incorporated, you know, into their AI that takes a look at things. And they are assigned a a hash, which is a series of numbers that identifies this type of message. And they're able to block it uh, from ever reaching you in the future. So as more and more people report this, um, it keeps the the bad guys on their toes because they need to change their methods because their methods stop working sooner uh, rather than later. So the more people that report this, uh, the, the better off it is for the collective.
1: Okay. On that same topic, we talked a little bit about government stuff. I want to briefly mention, I think it's, it's a good way to prove a point. Um, last year, HHS sent out an official notice in early August that OCR had been made aware of uh, postcards that were being sent to healthcare organization disguised as official OCR communications claiming to be notices of a mandatory HIPAA compliance risk assessment. And the postcards have a Washington, D.C. return address, and the sender uses the title Secretary of Compliance, HIPAA Compliance Division. Uh, this postcard was addressed to healthcare organizations, to their compliance officers, or HIPAA compliance officers, and it prompted uh, recipients to visit a URL and call or email, um, take immediate action on a HIPAA risk assessment. And the link, of course, directs individuals to a non governmental website you know, that was marketing consulting services. And they even, when they sent this information out, they sent a copy of the postcard, and they told everybody this is what the postcard looks like. So this is not electronic, but why is this important for you to understand? And by the way, in this case, HHS and OCR actually said that if you suspect something like this, report it to the FBI. They were actually referring people to the FBI. So is that something that the average person can do? And let's, I'd, if you guys talk a little bit about, you know, the importance of this, and and um, why it's important that we take look, you know, take a second look at these types of things.
2: Well, first thing I want to say is that um, ultimately that is electronic, you know, because uh, like in this case, that postcard was what was it trying to do? Get you to go to a website that's not an HHS website and fill in some information and give away give away your identity so that somebody can uh, can either. Use that to hack into something or or go sell that you know somebody wants to actually create credit fraud in your name. You know so it it is electronic. Um, but it's you know it's really just an expansion of kind of the different surface areas of of phishing. and the, this is phishing that you know from our perspective, it started with emails, emails trying to trying to glean a little bit more information about you, get you to reveal yourself so that you know we can either create credit in your in your name or uh, use that to go hack into various different services that most of us have signed up for. You know, and and um, that's kind of expanded to uh, voicemails that you might get. You know, someone leaves you voicemail. Hey, call, call back on this number. Hey, I'm traveling. Call back on this phone number. Leave that pertinent information so I can get this job done, this thing for the office, this uh, wire transfer that needs to happen, right? You know, so it's kind of expanding from just email to websites, to postcards,
1: um, postcards in this in this fake example. Fake
2: phone calls to postcards to videos, and it's it's more and more ways that things are being spoofed, right? So, um, and it's really you know it's really just what Frank Abagnale Jr. was doing, catch me if you can, guy, uh, back in the '60s, of gleaning information about people and trying to and, and using that to fake their identity to to go and do stuff. And in his case, to make um, oh what uh, at least a couple million dollars in the '60s. Mm-hmm.
1: Well, how about some other recent attempts besides government correspondence? Ted Mayashiba, you mentioned you know the FedEx type thing. Um, are there some others that we should be aware
4: of? I think mean, you see this every day. And if you look into your own email box, you will see attempts from all kinds of folks. Um, it, this is just widespread. you know the, the whole point is if you know, going back to frank uh, frank Abagnale, um getting little bits of information and then being able to aggregate that gives you a complete picture and that's what google has done for years with google maps and google mail they get little bits of information where you go what you do uh, and they classify you and your likes and dislikes and that gives them an idea of how to get a hold of you in order for them to formulate their next hacking attack. And that's all they're trying to do. So you'll see more and more of this uh, as we go forward. And we need to be able to educate enough folks to say, you know, this doesn't smell right. This This isn't right. And not to go to those links that you are not expecting. Primarily that don't go after something that you are not expecting
2: and there's a there's a progression of fishing that uh, you know now there's another term you know spear fishing you know there's um there's some fishing attempts where um, somebody actually has some information about you and it's enough information to make a more sophisticated kind of kind of a fish attempt that's uh then becomes something that you know maybe you are kind of expecting. Uh, maybe from that general topic, from that person in the office, from that company. You know, we're right now. We're kind of all expecting something to show up from UPS, FedEx, or you know, one Amazon. of the delivery companies. Amazon. 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 Yeah. We're, I mean, we're expecting. We're all kind of expecting that. Or it, I don't know. Did did you did you order that? Did you order that? I don't know. Somebody in this house ordered that. I don't know who it was. You know. Um, and that's again um, part of the danger uh, of the crossover. That happens between work and play, work and personal life when we're working at home, um, and we're kind of integrating our lives so much. You know, but um, the attacks are getting more sophisticated in that uh, you may get an email that looks like it's coming from your boss or from another department or somebody you know in the company um, who maybe you just had emailed to. Um, and there's a little bit of information that's re- relevant to your job subject matter, um, and it's enough that oh, okay, let me go, let me go quickly respond to that. Um, I wasn't really expecting him to ask for you know something to do a wire transfer while he's on a trip to Spain right now. But hmm, it's the boss, so let me you know. And 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 people have done this, and it, companies have lost yeah. you know chunks of money over this.
1: Yeah, it's happened and, a lot actually. There've been a lot of those.
2: <laughs> yeah, and you look at that in retrospect, and you're like, how could you possibly? Well, I okay, I could see falling for that. Yeah. And
3: there's there, there's a number of titles for those, right? We have the phishing scams that go out and, and they're after non-specific individuals. We are going to cast a the largest net that we can possibly cast and, and then we're going to work our way down. And then we get to the point where we're going to go after they, the, the bad guys, go after individual targets or groups of people. And that would be more of a spear phishing attack. And then you have um, whaling, which doubles down on on the spear to go after people that are CEOs of companies and and executives where they just throw out information to people who may be their direct reports and, and so especially if the direct report is a new hire right so we're gonna go after that they, they have some information about how the company is built, how it's set up, and and then they go after specific individuals. Um, and and as Kevin Mitnick, one of the premier hackers of our time, right? He he has single-handedly set up the FBI, set up more laws because of what he did um, than any other hacker since. Um, he he always said that the the Weakest vector was the human vector, right? All I need to do is get somebody on the phone, give them the tiniest bit of information so that it seems like I know what I'm talking about, and they will disclose, right, that that magic ticket, the one piece that you were missing, um, and they will do it willingly and with a smile on their face.
1: Yeah, that sounds like Frank Abagnale did the same thing. He said the same thing not too long ago, right? (laughs) We're all familiar with what happened with anthem quite a you know quite a while ago, and more recently Primera Blue Cross those were situations that could have been avoided uh if employees had been trained more frequently and maybe trained a little bit better uh let's talk about some of the more recent ones out there that people might not be as aware of or uh what what kind of lessons can be learned and how can these types of things be avoided
3: currently there there was a a research company that tested over thirty mobile health apps uh, for clinicians and they found that they were able to breach some level of these applications which exposed uh, client information, client details that, that uh, were able to identify people. Um, it was done through the programming interfaces to these applications which is how these applications talk to their providers Um, they, they tested over 30 applications and 30 different, uh, mobile health app vendors. Um, and the agreement was that they, they wouldn't show the vulnerable one so that they gave them a chance to fix it. But on average, each app that was tested had 775,000 people had downloaded, and installed this app on their phone or device to work through it. And these are the 30 most popular uh, apps that that are out there that are probably on our phones and tablets right now.
2: Yeah, and um, when we talk about these these huge breaches, that's where uh, the problems uh, and the challenges of the largest corporations are the exact same challenges that you, as an individual, maybe a sole um, you know, proprietor or a small and medium-sized company, you have the same problems. Um, and also you, as a, as a private individual, you have the exact same problems because most of those breaches, and certainly not all, but most of those breaches started by way of an email entry. Somebody clicked on a link in an email and a malware got downloaded or uh, some information was revealed you know, through that phishing attempt and somebody used that to log in and fake their way into a company by logging in as, as, as somebody else. And uh, what happened with Anthem, what happened um, with the latest, you know, Blue Cross was it uh, Excelsior in, in New York, um, which was uh, the New York one was like a um, $5.3 million settlement that just was settled. Um, what happened was uh, the hackers get in, they get in, um uh, install some malware, in this case with uh, the Blue Cross Excelsior, um, they install some malware onto an internal system, and it gives them access to move to other systems. And, you know, they roam around, and they case the joint for a year, unknown, undetected, and they have access to over 9 million patient records. You know, and what was missing there, the very first thing that's mentioned in the the HIPAA violation settlement case is they didn't have a risk assessment. So nobody had gone in and said, hey, let's go look for where we might have some risks and let's do something about it. You know, but, um, you know, the bottom line here is, is that most of those major massive breaches that happen to huge corporations and hospitals and so on are the same kind of uh, threats that you face. It comes in the form of email or it comes in the form of somebody fishing for information.
1: Well, that's very good information to know. Thank you. Uh, I want to talk a little bit about a recent Microsoft Cyber Alert, a net login remote uh, protocol. Can you tell us what happened with that? Because I had a lot of questions about this because that one kind of hit home for a lot of people because a lot of people obviously use Microsoft. So can you tell tell us a little bit about what happened there?
3: So the, the Microsoft Cyber Alert is really goes to show that we need to keep our computers up to date. Um, this was a vulnerability that was discovered based on, on old computing technology. This Basically what it did was when a computer is joined to a Microsoft domain, um, not only the person but the computer has a username and password. And so the password initially was set to 16 zeros. And so what it would allow people to do if you wanted to take advantage of this vulnerability was when you encrypt 16 zeros, one out of every 256 times, the encryption code is all zeros. And so they were just passing this encryption code along as the password, and it would allow them to impersonate the domain controller, which is the keeper of all credentials in in an active directory domain what that would allow the hacker to do was then be to impersonate the domain controller and gain access to all information in all computers in that domain uh that they had access to so it it allowed them to execute code as an administrator without ever even having to give a password. And, and so that gave them access to all information that was tied to these computers um, with never having to give a password. Um, and so Microsoft fixed the the issue with an update. And so one of the things that, that we need to make sure to do is to keep our computers uh, with the most up-to-date patches that, that Microsoft and other vendors put out, Apple, you know, uh, HP, in, in any of the, the providers.
1: So so when you get that pop-up that comes up on the bottom of your computer and it says that you need an update, you shouldn't just ignore it? Is that what you're saying?
3: Absolutely. You, you should install them as soon as they are available. They, they do have, well, uh, no, I'll stop there. <laughs> Okay. Like well, just, just say yes. <laughs> okay. Okay. Because sometimes they'll break your computer, but for the most part, it's yeah. a good thing. <laughs> okay.
2: <laughs> okay. Well, right. you know, and there's and there's a little a little bit of caveat to add with that. Um, you know, you also want to make sure that you know you don't have you know malware on your computer. You know, we know uh, anybody who's had an adware that they got from visiting a website that was spammy, or maybe from clicking on something that they shouldn't. That's that adware that, you know, maybe when you navigate to certain websites, this this pop-up shows up. Um, we shouldn't ignore those pop-ups that say, hey, you, you should update to this thing, but you should read it and, and read it like you're reading the email. Um, because there have been adwares that have, uh, or malwares, you know, that have created pop-ups that said, hey, you need to, you have a Windows problem, you know, click here to fix it. You know, and, you, and you've and you seen that, you know, from visiting various websites. Uh, usually it's websites that are like infor- information bulletin boards, that kind of thing, where you're trying to learn about, you know, maybe a Windows problem, right? You're trying to look up this Windows problem. You go to a website, you know, blah, 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 techsomething.com, and, you know, that may have some advertising on it that says, and one of the ads is a big giant button that says, you have a Windows problem, click here to scan, you know, or something like that. <laughs> You know, so we want to take a moment, take a breath. It's just like you know, a parent with a child, take a breath. Let's actually read the email. You know, let's read the message, the error message, whatever it is, the, the update message. Let's call. Do,
1: let's call Ted and Ted and Steve and have them don't look at it. it. <laughs>
2: exactly. That's if you what don't I do. Understand it. Call the tech <sighs> folks. You know, so that somebody can explain it to you. But don't ignore it, and also don't just blindly click on it.
1: So now we know about what these attempts were all about. Is there a common denominator, and what's the real point of these actions? Um, what are they trying to gain?
2: Well, the, the common denominator, uh, as, as Frank Abagnale knows, as Kevin knows, as, as we know, it's people. The common denominator is people. People are the weakest link uh, because um, we are so often willing to give up information uh, to somebody who we we think we trust, we think we know, uh, we're so often willing to give up information that um, might help get the job done. We're so often willing to let somebody log in. Hey, you know, and you know, believe it or not, this has happened so many times in, in HIPAA breaches. You know, if somebody has uh, given another uh, co-office worker um, willingly um, access to their account. You know whatever that account might be within the company to go log in um, go log in as me um, you know, I'm too busy to handle this right now. go do this you know on my behalf and get this thing done. you know we're so willing to to help out and, and you know get things done that um, we allow uh, somebody to get access to the wrong information in that case um, it's access to price, uh, excuse me patient information that they shouldn't have access to because it you know wasn't their patient to deal with. Um, and HIPAA says that's a violation. Um, in the case of HIPAA, what are people after? Um, well, sometimes, uh, say for example, tabloids are after what's the health status of a celebrity, because that sells papers. And again, that's a HIPAA violation to, you know, breach the personal medical information of of, of somebody. Um, in most cases, it's 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 all about money. Um, it's about creating credit in the name of somebody. And that can include creating credit in the name of someone who is, in, who is just a child. Um, and that's easy to do. It's, it's actually, believe it or not, that's one of the growth areas in credit fraud is for you know people who are under 18 years old. And oftentimes, you know, just very, very young children because they already have a social security number. And so credit can then be created.
1: Right, and we talk about that sometimes in our HIPAA training too. You you give an example of what an eight-year-old child, and he's already how many thousands thousands of dollars in debt? Um, 50, $57,000 in debt or something like that, and he's eight years old?
2: Um, I, I think it's four. Is he, I think, was I think, he four? I think, and tomorrow I'll be four years old. Okay, <laughs> <That's> <laughs>
1: Okay, four years old. That's even worse. But yeah, these kind of things are happening quite a bit.
4: Well, the issue about credentials, I mean, credentials really – are the cybersecurity professional way of knowing who you are and therefore what rights you're given. So in some offices, this is not well known. Uh, and so credentials are usually swapped. They go, well, you know, in the old days, uh, when you walked over to another machine, you expect that, that you would sign on to that machine as that person. And that's no longer necessary. Really, you, you need to log on as yourself because you inherit all the rights that has been bestowed upon you as that person. You log on as somebody else. Um, the records show that somebody else had logged on and their actions, uh, for good or ill are credited to that account. That means, um, in, if if there was a breach based upon that, um, that person's in trouble. They're on they're on the hook for the liability. Okay,
1: good yeah. good information. Good information. So if you're an employer. What should you be doing to be sure that these things don't happen in your organization? What types of protocols should they have in place? What types of training, etc., to you know to prevent these things from happening? And how can you be sure that your employees aren't clicking on the wrong links and uploading private documents to social engineering attempts and that sort of thing? What can they do?
4: Well, as much as possible, automate that update feature, update um, operating system. Also, update your uh, your browsers Um, as browsers are becoming more and more powerful. um, You know, Chrome and Firefox and Edge and the like, they have to, just like uh, operating systems, they have to be updated on a regular basis because vulnerabilities are found regularly on on those uh, issues. So um, you have to be able to, as a policy or as a procedure, For all the people that are out there, distributed doing work for you, uh, make sure that they've they've clicked on the automate you know automate the update for all the browsers that they use, um, and and their operating system to make sure that they're up to date. Certainly, that's one thing that an employer can can ensure that their employees do to cut down the chance of malware. Uh, breaking
3: in. Also along those lines they can have cybersecurity training so that the users can easily identify the most common phishing schemes that that are out there. Um, There are ways to for an employer to launch their own phishing uh, scam on their employees and it will record who clicks on this and then they can take that information and target those particular individuals with more training so that they know that they're, it's getting through and you know do this on a quarterly or semi-annual basis because as we go through right when, when we get a speeding ticket we pay attention to our speed for a good couple of months after this happens and we're very attentive to it but then slowly but surely it, it fades to the background we need to do the same Take the same type of attack on on this cybersecurity, so that it is always in the forefront of of our minds.
2: Yeah, and we know that you know if we don't talk about it on a regular basis, then it's not important. Kids know that from parents, and employees know that with their with their managers. You know, so if it's something that you talk about on a regular basis, then it may be something that's important to people. You know, so just keep keep hammering on that. Um, there's also, uh, there's quite a few different uh, strategies that can be employed. There's different processes and tools that can be can be used. You know, one of the things that, uh, you know, I mentioned earlier that makes uh, guys like us and especially Steve cringe is the idea of bring your own device. You know, so one of the things we like to recommend uh, certainly is, if possible, companies um, just give your You know, give the devices to your employees. Don't allow them to use their own machines, their own iPads, their own tablets, their own laptops, their own desktops to do business uh, work if you can help that. You know, so if if it's something that's provided by the company, then the company controls can lock down all the administrative rights and features so that only the software that's needed for those employees to do the job is on there and that nothing else is allowed on there. And they can control and deploy updates um, centrally uh, and at the same time. Um, you know, so that's something that you know we always recommend. If that's not possible, you know, um, then we want to try and use things like mobile device management services, you know, have your employee add that on there. Um, we always want to be backing up data so that if there's a doubt, we're gonna go ahead and wipe it out on that device. You know, and you're not going to wipe it out if you have a little doubt in your mind. Well, do I really have a backup? You know, Um, so, you know, so when that scenario comes up and you say, you know, I I haven't seen my phone around or my laptop for, you know, like a couple of days now, um, but I can't remember the last time I ever backed it up. So mm, I'm just going to kind of let it float out there and really and truly, as soon as that device that has very sensitive information um, goes goes out of your awareness, you know, goes lost, um, then you want to hit that and in, invoke that wipe out command so that if there's any chance that somebody stole that, that person doesn't have access to the data.
1: Yeah, some very good points. Well, let's summarize. Uh, we've gone over some common threats. We've talked about what's more prevalent now. You guys gave some great specific examples. How about a quick recap? What are the main elements to be aware of home versus office, and you know what can you do to protect yourself and your company
3: so one of the things that we can you know take a look we we've gone over the common threats. The distinction between home and mm-hmm. office has now in the over the past year become very, very blurry. Um, our home is our office, and our office is our home. Uh, we need to be vigilant to make sure that the practices that we have in the office um, are translated to our home offices and, you know, make sure that that we look at computing as if we were in the office all day, every day. Um, we need to keep our computers up to date um, with any vendor patches or, or application patches that, that come out so that we can you know, fend off as best we can the known vulnerabilities that are out there.
4: Yeah, I think the one thing you have to realize is that you can't be everywhere at all times. And there has to be some level of of um, computing savvy of all your personnel. They have to be able to recognize an email that is potentially harmful. They need to be able to recognize not to click on something that looks, that could be dangerous. And the only way they will learn is to have some kind of training on a regular basis to show them what the latest uh, fishing and uh, whaling schemes, spear fishing and whaling, because if they're in a, in a position, especially on the finance side, um, they're going to be under attack. And if you don't have good communication, if you don't, if you haven't talked about this initially between the boss and the folks in accounting, uh, that if they get an email purportedly from the boss that says, uh, send $50,000 to this account in Argentina, uh, and they just say, well, okay, it's the boss, and you don't have a procedure in place or you haven't talked to somebody there, As the boss and said, look, if you get something like this, make sure you call me or text me or somehow get a hold of me in a separate way than email to confirm that that's really what you want to do. Don't think I'm too busy. And that's that communication has to be present and those situations have to be brought forward and talked about. So that's part of the training and education.
2: Uh, no, that's right. I mean, we we have that protocol with with you. For example, Dorothy, you know, you know, you know, you know, we have an understanding on both sides that, you know, if you have a message or or one of your staff, you know, one of your team has a message that you don't understand, whether it's a, you know, an error message, an update message, or an email, you're not sure there's something questionable. Um, you know, we have a clear understanding that you're going to share that with us in some way and we're going to get an answer back to you and you're not going to take an action on it until we get an answer back to you. So there's an established protocol. There's a process there. And so, you know, number one, establish that process. And number two, tell people about it and keep telling people about it. And like Steve said, you know, that speeding ticket, if it's not fresh in the memory, then it starts to fade and, you know, it, it gets dangerous.
1: Yeah, for sure, absolutely. And they could always, if they don't have in-house training themselves, of course, they can always come to us for training as well. HIPAA training we do a few times a year, so check our website at AdvancedBenefitConsulting.com. A little throwing a little plug in for ourselves there, uh, but there's plenty of good training out there, so people should really pay attention to that sort of thing and and uh, uh, hopefully stay a lot more secure.
2: Yeah, I mean there there really are quite a few tools that can be used to help. Um, reduce the chances of risk to reduce the chances that, you know, it's the unintended person that's, you know, getting access, you know, some of those tools we mentioned, you know, using business devices, um, but also using, you know, helping people to um, actually um, directly access to the, to the company. um, So that computing is done on company machines, even from outside the office, you can do things like remote desktop, you can access, um, you can use a VPN, which is a virtual private, network so you can access to the office safely and securely you can help people set up um, in their homes you can help them set up uh, secure networks within the home using uh, firewall hardware equipment you can help them set up separate um, home family play wi-fi side versus uh, business wi-fi side and also you know family network side versus a business network side uh, by creating you know um, separate VLANs, a virtual a local area network, or separated you know wi-Fis, you can um, encrypt uh, machines and and HIPAA requires um, encryption at rest. So even if it's uh, say an employee's machine that they're using instead of a, you know a company machine, you can help them um, to encrypt that. Um, you can use uh, mobile device management systems. these are these are programs that are Um, keeping contact with each device that's being computed on and it allows you the capability of wiping them out, you know, basically like remotely resetting them back to, you know, some kind of factory setting so that if, you know, like a kind of like a low jack when that car gets stolen, you know, you can invoke that self-destruct command so that um, the hacker or the thief doesn't have access to the records. Um, You know, so there's quite a bit that can be used. And um, these are things that, you know, maybe a lot of people, um, even IT departments, you know, haven't used before. They're not sure how to set up, for example, a virtual uh, machine that somebody's gonna dial into on their server or how to set up a VPN or how to set up a VLAN, Um, you know, but that's something that we can do. We can help people to um, implement, we can help recommend um, the right solutions, help them implement it, and get them trained.
1: And there are both uh, software versions of these things and hardware versions, correct?
3: Absolutely. There there are hardware and software versions that can be easily installed and configured in most home and or office situations, and we would uh, be more than willing to help out and and get those set up.
4: Yeah, one of the reasons for some of the complexity that was mentioned by Ted uh, really comes about, especially in the home with um, Internet of Things, IIoT, Uh, things like smart speakers, if you have an Alexa, if you have a thermostat, a smart thermostat, uh, smart door locks, smart bulbs, child monitors, all those are so easily hackable. And they get onto your Wi-Fi and from the Wi-Fi short jump onto your business machine.
1: Yeah, and they scare me. I won't do any of that Lexus stuff. It's, it's just it's too scary for me. That's just, <laughs> I, I'm not afraid to admit that.
2: The, the other tools that we didn't mention are you know, really the tool of you know, using strong passwords. And um, the reticent always to use a strong password is, well, I can't remember all these passwords, you know, so I have to make them simple or I have to use the same one for everything. You know, so we recommend uh, secure password uh, storage services like LastPass, you know, or something that is uh, maybe not a cloud-based, like a KeyPass, you know, so that you can allow your employees, you know, equip your employees to use strong passwords. They're not easily hackable. Um, that are maybe not memorable, but they have a, a place where they can store that securely, and then. Um, Combine that with a multi-factor authentication or what's called a two-factor authentication. That's something where um, in order to log on to your network or to a cloud service, you know, you you require that a text message goes to verify or an email message or, you know, better yet, um, a multi-factor authentication app on a phone or even better yet, a hardware tool like a a, uh, YubiKey that gets you know either put in or set next to a computing device that's uh, basically says two factor says it's something i know my username and password and something i control my phone or this YubiKey key that's that's um, most likely in my physical control using multi-factor authentication is a great way to help assure that it's the right person logging in when you can't look across the room and, and actually look at their their face and say oh yeah that, you know, That's really Steve that's logging into that computer over there. When they're working from home, you can't see their face. You know, So it could be Steve logging in from home, or it could be somebody um, in Russia or in India or somewhere else on the other side of the planet that's logging in and trying to pretend to be Steve.
1: Thank you. That's great information. So we're just about out of time here. I want to thank you guys so much for your expertise and for – for participating in this podcast today. If anybody out there is that's listening would like to reach out to you, how can they do so?
2: Yeah, they can go directly to our website. And that's aditigroup.com. That's A-D-I-T-I group.com. Or they can call us at 855 go adt. That's 855 go adt or 855-462-3484. And we are happy to... Um, connect with you, answer your questions, help you understand uh, what you need to do to move forward, and help you understand your risks.
1: Great. That's that's great. Thank you so much. So thank you, Ted, Ted, and Steve for being with me today. I, I really, really appreciate this. You're
3: welcome. It's been a pleasure. Been a pleasure. (laughs)
1: <laughs> Thanks a lot, you guys. Thanks, everyone. We'll be back next season for season three. And in the meantime, we'll be republishing the best of season one, the best of season two, and the best of 2020, surviving the pandemic, during the off season. If important topics do come up during the off season, however, we will address those on one or more special editions. So, to everybody out there, please stay safe and stay healthy. Thanks a lot.
0: Thanks for listening. Stay tuned for compliance tips, cost containment ideas, new trends, and decision-making tools. This podcast is produced by Advanced Benefit Consulting, Anaheim, California. All views expressed are those of the host or interviewees and not necessarily those of Advanced Benefit Consulting. Information contained herein should not be construed as legal advice. We always recommend that you consult with your legal counsel as situations do vary. Miss Koshu can be reached at 714-693-9754, extension 3, toll free at 866-658-3835, or visit our website at advancedbenefitconsulting.com.